Hello and welcome to the Daily Claims Podcast, where we talk about life as an insurance adjuster from the perspective of property, auto, liability, and workers' compensation adjusters. My goal is to bring interesting topics in the world of claims adjusting to people who are working as an adjuster now and to people who are considering a career as a claims adjuster. Well, we have no guest today, so today we're going to fly solo. And that's kind of a joke because uh, what we're going to be talking about today is drones and flying drones for claims. For anyone who's a CPCU and gets the Insights magazine, the fall issue has a beautiful article on drones. And it covers a lot about the uh, use of drones in various businesses today. It also covers some underwriting considerations when an insurance company is considering whether or not to allow coverage for drone activities for their policyholders. But what I want to talk about today is the use of drones for the claims adjustment process. And first, and most appropriately, I think we'll talk about property claim inspections first. So if you're not familiar with what a drone actually is, basically a drone is an aircraft that does not have anybody on board. It can be classified as, sometimes it's called a UAV or an unmanned aerial vehicle. Sometimes it's called an RPV or a remote piloted vehicle. The FAA will typically call it an SUAS, and that's a lowercase s, and then capital U, capital A, capital S, and they call it a small unmanned aircraft system. Because these are aircraft, they are regulated by the FAA. Now, as a hobbyist, you can purchase a drone and you can use it for hobbyist purposes. But the instant that you use it for any business or commercial purpose, you will have to have a certification from the FAA called the Part 107. So if you are using a drone to accomplish claims investigations or claims evaluations or settlements or inspections, you will have to have the Part 107 designation from the FAA. And there's a lot of resources online where you can go through the coursework to obtain your Part 107 certification, and that will have to be renewed then every two years. There's a lot of important coursework that you have to study. You have to learn what the role of the FAA is in the regulation of aircraft and drones. You have to learn about aeronautical decision-making. You have to learn about the principles of flight, about aircraft construction, about aerodynamics and how flight works. You have to learn about flight controls and aircraft performance, and you also have to have detailed knowledge of aviation weather services and weather theory. Uh, One of the most important things you have to learn about is whether or not you can fly in controlled airspace. And if you are in controlled airspace, you have to learn how to get permission to fly in those areas. Now, controlled airspace is the spaces around airports that are designated as controlled, and there's uh, various classes of airspace that require different permissions if you want to fly through them or in them. And in some airspaces, you're not allowed to fly at all. And many drones these days will have automatic GPS that if you attempt to take off in a no-fly zone of any type, the drone will be locked down and you won't be able to fly that thing. It's important to note that if you are in violation of any of the FAA's rules and regulations regarding the flying of drones, that you could be in for some very heavy fines. You see a lot of YouTube videos utilizing drones for some amazing footage. And in some cases, that has been very controversial because there have been videos of people that have been flying over stadiums, for example. And uh, the FAA does not allow you to fly over people 
without a certain waiver uh, showing that you have the, the proper training and that you have a device that can protect people if that drone fails, like a parachute or something like that, so that uh, if it falls out of the sky, it's not going to hurt anybody. So there have been examples with these sensational videos on YouTube uh, by creators who make money on YouTube uh, who have violated the FAA re regulations regarding the use of drones for commercial purposes, and they have been very heavily fined. In one example, there was a drone pilot who was fined $182,000 by the FAA. Uh, this person was apparently flying his drone around Philadelphia between 2019 and 2020, and he was posting these videos on YouTube, and the FAA could see everything he was doing, and he was breaking a lot of their rules, and they warned him several times in writing that he needed to stop doing that, that he needed to take those videos down, and that he needed to cease these types of activities. Well, he didn't. And so eventually he was fined $182,000. So what exactly are some of the things that can get you in deep trouble with the FAA? Well, as I said, airspace is one of the biggest factors. You can't fly in controlled airspace, at least not without permission. And the reason for that is they don't want a drone colliding with an aircraft because that endangers not only the people in that aircraft, but also the people on the ground if that aircraft were to fail and crash. Aside from airspace, it's also important that you maintain a line of sight with the drone when you are operating it. That means you cannot fly it too far away. You have to be able to see it the entire time. You can't fly it at night. You can with a waiver and proper lighting so that you can maintain that line of sight. But heavy fog or while it's raining, uh, those can inhibit your ability to see the drone and you're not allowed to fly in those conditions either. Now, incidentally, most drones won't really operate very well in the rain. Uh, the rain can actually damage them. They've got fans that uh, draw air in to cool the motors and things. And uh, you don't want rain going into the things. So as I said, you also can't fly over people. These are just some of the rules. I have an entire book. You can get this on Amazon. It's called The Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge. It is a very thick book. It is chock full of details. It's very interesting reading and it gives you just about everything you'd ever want to know about aircraft and uh, the rules associated with, with flying aircraft. So let's say you've got your FAA Part 107 certification and you're a claims adjuster and you want to use your drone to inspect damage. That's great. I do it all the time. But you have to remember that uh, it is a tool that should be used in an, an appropriate manner. A lot of people that I've talked to, especially new adjusters who may be considering a career as a property adjuster, but maybe are afraid to climb on a roof, see a drone and say, well, that way I can get a drone. I don't have to climb on the roof because that's really scary and I don't want to fall and get hurt. And roof safety is a whole other topic that we can talk about. But a drone really can't be a substitute for inspecting damaged roofs. And here's a few reasons why. One of the first things is you have to get up close and personal with the roof for various reasons. One is you have to be able to determine how many layers of shingles might be on that roof. The only real way to do that is to get real close up to the edge and lift the drip, drip edge up and feel under there to see if the, there are various layers. Now, if the, the roofing is tore off and you can visually see the layers underneath, that's one thing. But if the 
Damage to the roof is just topical, maybe hail damage. There won't be missing shingles, and you'll have to actually get up there and, and see how many layers are on that roof. You won't be able to determine whether there is ice and water shield on a roof unless you're able to get up close and actually look at the layers and maybe lift up to look at the edge to see if ice and water shield was ever applied in the first place. You need to verify that. Another reason that you need to get up close and personal is to determine whether the roof is repairable. And we often conduct what is called a brittle test to do that. And a brittle test is just a test to see how pliable the shingle is. Because if it can't be lifted up or flexed enough to be able to insert a new shingle under and remove all the old nails and put new nails in, new fasteners, uh, if you can't do that because it's not flexible enough, then that roof would not be considered repairable and you would essentially have to pay for that whole section of roof or the whole roof, whatever. And you can't conduct a brittle test with a drone. All you can do with a drone is get really good photos, um, kind of up close, especially if you've got like a zoom lens on your on your drone, but it's not going to be able to accomplish everything that you need to when you do a roof inspection. And we can talk about hail damage. Hail uh, inspections require very detailed photographs close up in many cases to determine what that hail mark might look like and whether or not that's just blistering from the factory or something else. So a drone is not the end-all be-all solution for someone who doesn't want to climb on a roof. Frankly, if you're going to be a property adjuster intent on handling roof claims and you refuse to climb on a roof, uh, that's probably not the role for you. Maybe you want to be a desk adjuster instead. The drone is not a substitute for that. So what is a drone good for in property losses? Well, it's a great way to get your overall shots. So I have an example. I had a farm recently and I had to get photographs of several buildings and they covered, I don't know, the whole yard was probably 10 acres and there was like eight buildings. Uh, rather than walk around and do my uh, simple elevation shots, I just had the drone. I flew it around. I did my elevation shots with the drone. I was able to inspect the roof on each one very quickly. They were all metal roofs. There were no claims of damage to those roofs, but it was a great way to verify whether or not there was damage to those other roofs. So it does, it is a time saver. And in many cases, the roof is really high and unaccessible without, you know, a lift or a, a very expensive way to get up there. So the drone helps in those cases as well. It's not always necessary to get up close and personal to verify damage to a roof. As an example, if you have a very tall barn and it's got all galvanized metal roofing and you can see with drone footage that 50% of the roof has been completely torn off, uh, you're probably in pretty good shape. The only thing you won't be able to really verify is the thickness of that metal, unless some of it landed on the ground, and then you can take some calipers and figure out how thick that metal is. So again, my point here is that drones are a great tool, and they do allow you to do things on inspections that you wouldn't be able to do without the drone. But it can't take place of actually getting up on the roof when you need to. So how about in liability claims? How can a drone be used in liability claims? Well, they're great for construction site incidents. Many times there's scaffolding set up and you don't really want to go up there and take a detailed photo of the scaffolding, but you can get up pretty close with a drone and get all the photos that you need pretty quickly. Drones are great for intersections, for automobile accidents. Yes, you can get good uh, images 
just from Google Earth, but will they be current? You know, sometimes road work changes rapidly and you can get a scene photo that is up to date with any road changes that may have already occurred. Unfortunately, I am involved in a lot of claims that result from tree trimming and logging accidents. And a drone is a great way to get an overall view of the lay of the land to determine how high of a fall it may have been, uh, to inspect the higher parts of a tree where branches may have broken or equipment may have failed. So yeah, a drone is a really great way to get images from really high spots that you can't get to otherwise. So let's talk a little bit about risk management when it comes to drone usage. I've already given a list of things that the FAA does not want you to do with drones, and that's because of the risks associated with them. If there are other aircraft in your area, when you're about to fly your drone, you need to keep your drone on the ground until that aircraft passes. You do not want to interfere in any way with the operation of banned aircraft. Now, I've seen YouTube video from a drone uh, near an airport, and that scares the heck out of me because they, they need to have authorization to be able to do that for one. And if they don't, they're creating a huge amount of risk, uh, both to the pilot and passengers of the aircraft that are taking off and landing there, as well as the surrounding people and properties. Because if one of those planes goes down, that would be a huge tragedy. One of the things the FAA will be doing in the near future is that they'll be requiring remote ID for any drone usage. And that basically means that when you're flying a drone, the FAA will be able to identify the owner of that drone and its position while in flight. If you're using a drone for claims, another thing you need to understand is that you can't fly this thing over people. So if there's anybody at the lost site, you'll have to wait until they all kind of leave or get out of the way so that you can operate the drone safely. You'll also need to be aware of any hazards that are around the building. Power lines, trees, all those things can upset a drone really fast. If you're operating a drone in order to take images of roadways or intersections, you also have to be aware that you can't fly that over a moving vehicle. Now there's a way you can do it safely and that involves waiting for traffic to clear. So you can take off from an area that is not a road and you can hover the drone over an unoccupied sidewalk or median or something like that and then when traffic clears you can move the drone over the road where you want to take your photos and then move it back off safely so it's not over moving vehicles this is for directly overhead you can take angled shots all day long as long as the drone itself is not over a moving vehicle and the point of that rule is that if the drone were to fail and come out of the sky, you don't want it landing on someone's car and disrupting the operation of that vehicle because they could cause an accident down below. Drones that fall out of the sky can hurt people. And there are a lot of stories out there where a drone has struck a person and the rotors on those drones are moving very fast and they're kind of sharp and they can do some harm to people. Not only can they hurt people, but they can hurt property. If your drone flies into the side of a building or into a window or damages a car, you're going to be legally responsible for that damage. And if it's over a certain dollar amount, you're going to have to report it to the FAA. So what kind of risk management can you employ outside of just being safe? Well, how about insurance? That's what we talk about. Insurance is available for drones. I use a service that is kind of an on-demand service uh, where I can purchase coverage for a specified period of time, usually about an hour, that protects me 
it doesn't provide what's called hull insurance. Hull insurance is uh, protection for the drone itself in case it gets damaged. But what I purchase is liability insurance in case I cause injury or damage to someone else. And as I said, this is something I can buy when I'm at the site prior to my flight. It costs for a single flight, it might be 10 or $20 depending on the airspace that I'm in. So I just bring up the app. It uses GPS to find out where I am and then it issues the policy. And when the policy gets issued, I get an email with my policy documents, the declarations page and all the forms are on there and I can add an additional insured. So if I'm working for a client, an insurance company, I will add them as additional insured to that policy as well because I want them to be protected as well. Now, if you are a drone user that is out there with your drone every day, all day long, you might want to consider getting a dedicated policy that lasts for a full year. And those are quite expensive. But if you're using it only occasionally, which is what I do, then the pay-as-you-go method works really well for me. So in summary, there is definitely a place in the world for drone usage and claims handling. As I said, you can do things with the drone that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. You'd be able to get footage, video footage, and photographs of things that you just wouldn't be able to do unless you had a helicopter or an airplane. But the question is, how often do you need that kind of footage? There are specific instances where drone footage is very valuable, but you're not gonna use it on every roof claim and you're not gonna use it on every liability claim. So if you're an adjuster, you have to weigh the cost and expense of getting your license, buying and maintaining a drone, and the cost of insuring that drone before you consider whether or not it's worthwhile to use a drone for your claim inspections. And if you're an adjuster now who is using a drone and you are not Part 107 certified and you're using that drone for claims handling, allow this to be fair warning to you that you are in violation of the FAA Part 107 rules. And if an accident were to happen with your drone while you were conducting a claim inspection, uh, things could go badly. And uh, that's just a fair warning uh, based on stories that you can find all over the internet. So to all my adjuster friends who are roof climbers and drone operators and claim inspectors and claims adjusters, be safe out there. And if you ever have a question about drone usage and claims, get in touch with me. Be glad to talk. Thanks for joining us again on the Daily Claims Podcast, where we talk about life as an insurance adjuster. Hit that subscribe button real quick and tell all of your adjuster friends to check this out as well. Join Chantal Roberts and Bill Auten on the Clubhouse app every other Tuesday where we head up the art of adjusting and discuss all kinds of exciting insurance topics. For anyone interested in becoming a claims adjuster, you'll need to get on Facebook and search for the Adjuster Manuals Facebook group. You'll find helpful posts for anyone new to adjusting, including training opportunities and licensing coursework with a pass guarantee. For independent adjusting services, go to www.auten.claims. And for anyone interested in working as an independent liability adjuster, go to www.auten.claims FQS and scroll down to the skills assessment button to fill out your information. We'll get back to you right away.